You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, and author of a new book called Auction Ready, How to Buy Property at Auction Even Though You're Scared Shitless. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner and mortgage broker, and together we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the web website as well as download our free full or forecaster report which experts can you trust to get it right the elephant in the room.com.au please stick around for this week's elephant rider boot camp and we have a cracking dumbo of the week coming up before we get started everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. This is an episode with a difference. What I hope it turns out to be is a call to action in two respects and more about that later. We're going to talk about homelessness. Now, please do not tune out. This is a property podcast, I know, and we have both altruism and self-preservation in mind as we discuss this today. Do you know who the fastest growing cohort of homeless people in Australia is right now? Are you aware of how easily it could happen if something unexpected trips you up and the right foundations haven't been laid early in adulthood? We've touched on this in a previous episode, that's number 66 if you want to go back, when we interviewed Michelle Adair from the Housing Trust. She told us a story about how a nurse in a good job had a run of bad luck that left her homeless and it was frightening to hear this. So in this episode, we're going to get a better understanding of what's actually happening. And as 2020 progresses, we'll interview experts to help us educate and empower young people so that while enjoying your youth, you're still investing wisely for your future. Of course, we want you to ultimately be able to achieve the dream of homeownership and potentially becoming a property investor as well. At a minimum, we want to ensure you avoid becoming homeless yourself. In this episode, we're discussing the current situation with a journalist who has spent a lot of time researching this. Sharon Bradley is a magazine writer who has spent an international career listening to people, some of them famous, some of them not, and she's been listening to these people tell their stories. Until recently, she was the associate editor of Good Weekend, a magazine to which she still contributes regular long reads, and she's here today to talk about her February 8 cover story about Australia's fastest growing cohort of homeless people, women over the age of 55. It makes for very sobering reading indeed. Welcome, Sharon. Thank Let's you. get into this. Thanks. Good to be here. Hi, Sharon. Um, Hi. Love to have this conversation because it's, um, it is very interconnected to the, to the property market. Um, and, you know, when we talk about the property market, there's always people that get marginalised, whether it's renters, whether it's homelessness, whether it's young couples um, trying to get into the market. Um, and so there's always consequences of, of potentially the market going up or down and et cetera. And this is one cohort that, you know, is forgotten about and um, it's kind of hidden under the, you know, behind the scenes and we don't really know. And I think that's why the state government is actually starting to try to count how many people are homeless because we actually don't know. That's um, right. Mm. So your interest in this story um, you know, because there's always probably a light bulb moment, I imagine, for a journalist and they're like, that's maybe something I want to talk about or look at. How did it start um, and what got you interested to do this? 
It was a subject that I think had been um, discussed in the Good Weekend office. So in the end, it was um, the editor of Good Weekend, Katrina Strickland, who contacted me and said, look, this alarming statistic has come to our attention and we really, really want to dig deep behind the statistics. I mean, there had been a 51% increase in women between the ages of 65 to 74 who were homeless. That's a 51% increase between the 2011 and the 2016 census. Wow. So that was enormous. Five years. And so that had grabbed everybody's attention in the office. But what she wanted to do really was kind of go behind the, the statistics and talk to women who had enjoyed very conventional housing arrangements mm. up until a hideous, sudden, unexpected life, destruct, life disruptor sorry, mm. tipped them over into destitution. Yeah, so I think, you know, before we kind of talk about the, um, you know, the reality is we've all got, I mean, that's what that show on um, SBS, I think it is, where the, you know, they mm. take people from different walks of life oh, and they yes. throw them um, on the street and you yes. you see them in 24 hours, um, they blow away all their misconceptions of homelessness, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've lived in London, I've lived in Melbourne, I've lived in the city, you know, I've seen a lot in different countries and travelled mm. and things like that. Um, what's the biggest misconception you found that you had before you started doing this article that once you very quickly realised you had it wrong? Well, I think as a society, generally, we marginal we like to marginalise the homeless yeah. because it makes us feel comfortable ourselves. Mm. We think that's not going to happen to me because the homeless people that we see on the streets are uneducated uh, mentally unsound, they're addicts, Mm. Um, and they're not me. I think that's what we think because Mm. we we are prone to marginalise a very uncomfortable demographic. But the reality is, of course, that homeless people aren't always rough sleeping in parks or sleeping in cardboard boxes on our streets on Mm. a rainy evening. They are often um, invisible They're sleeping in a relative's spare room or on a friend's sofa. Mm. But they're still homeless. Yep. Mm. And so older women, we tend not to see them on the streets. Yep. Um, They're, as I say, they're, 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 you know, they're with friends or or they're with relatives. So many, many misconceptions, really. Yeah. But Mm. that's the tip of the iceberg. well, I guess there's also yeah. the definition of homelessness. Mm. So I guess, you know, maybe we should mm. clarify that first. Mm. Yeah. It's someone with no fixed abode, someone mm. who doesn't have an address. Um, and actually, I think the women who are rough sleeping, their age tends to be much lower. They yeah. tend to be in their mid-30s. Mm. This story focused very much on women over the age of 55. Yeah. And they tend not to be sleeping rough. Right. Because it's very, very dangerous. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, danger, right? Like not only do they have to worry about food uh, yeah. and sh- uh, staying warm yes. um, and, you know, all those things mm. that, you know, hu- basic human needs, at the end of the day, night comes and, you know, they've got to worry about their safety and if their five possessions that they've got are going to get stolen um, that they need, you know, and it, mm. it becomes, 
it's not just, you know, it, it, and for women, you know, to be able to ability yeah. to defend themselves, I guess, against a big man, it's, you know, who wants something. Horrific. Yeah. So one of the women I spoke to, her name is Maria, and she um, actually moved into her car when she crossed that unimaginable threshold. She mm. realized that she, she knows she was offered a job. It didn't work out. And um, she realized very quickly that she was not able to afford to carry on renting her apartment in San Susi. Mm. So she moved into her car. But she said she was she would often be so frightened at night. She couldn't have the windows down, so she would crack the sunroof open mm. a little bit. But she became so frightened that she would often just park her car in a beach car park and she would catch the train into Central and she would find people who were rough sleeping in the parks. And they weren't her friends, but she said she felt safer with them than she did staying alone in her car overnight, even though she was able to lock the doors. Um, so unimaginable horrors, mm. unimaginable. It's so isolating and there's so much shame around so this as well. Isolating. And that makes it even worse because you, you feel you would you would feel shame I imagine a society is basically I mean I know when I'm walking on the street and, I, and I'm I'm pulled to help it you don't know what to do and you don't mm. you don't want to feed someone's addiction and you, you know I'll go and donate to to a charity to help um but yeah it's a very conflicted you don't want to and there's a lot of fear from the point of the non-homeless person in interacting with homeless people as well I mean that SBS show was quite amazing because it, it yeah. really did lift that but however how do you identify even the people you can engage with? And so society-wise, we've got real challenges with this as well. You know what I mean? So um, so you, you've got you've got a, a cohort of women that it's not just, I guess what I'd like to be, I don't like to understand, I guess, what led them to this point? How did they get there? What, what decisions and what turning points in their lives has had these unexpected outcomes? Because you've interviewed a lot of people, haven't you? Well, <clears throat> I've spoken to quite, I've read a lot of stories mm. and I spent a lot of time with the three women who feature prominently in the story because they had such compelling stories that mm. were incredibly relatable, actually. And mm. the, the first yeah. lady is called Rhiannon and, um, you know, she had a very high-flying, yeah. successful mm. career in television. Mm. Yeah. She was on first-name terms with Michael Parkinson. Yeah. And, all our most well-known TV chat yep. show hosts in the UK and mm. in Australia. And um, for her, it was a diagnosis of glaucoma. Mm. So her parents had been diagnosed with it. There was a family history, but they had been late life sufferers. Whereas for her, she was diagnosed at the age of 49 or 50. Mm. And it was very severe. So... She became unable to work and she had been making a lot of money during the 1980s, during the heyday of the TV chat show. But um, she was from England and she had a family in Oxfordshire that she was extremely close to and she spent so much money jetting backwards and forwards mm. to mm. the UK. And at a time when she could have bought a property she was actually traveling mm. and um, staying in touch with her family. And where, what's with the family now? 
So her sister is still in Oxfordshire and she visits regularly. She goes still goes back and forth. But um, Rhiannon now has two sons who are grown up in Australia. So perhaps if it were not for them, she would be thinking yeah. about going home. Mm. But, you know, she has her, fam- her boys here and also a grandson, Billy. And it comes back all the way to, I mean, we did an episode with uh, Craig Bigelow. I can't remember yeah. the exact number. He's an insurance expert. Yeah. Really talking about um, insuring yourself for these sorts of things, you know, Um, and and I guess if you don't, and and I've got some clients, in fact, that uh, one client, I think she was in her thirties, maybe in her early forties, she had a stroke, Mm. and she had um, all the appropriate income protection insurance and trauma policy and all the rest of it, and she get she was paid out, and and she's been able to buy an apartment and live an independent life. So there are there are way not everyone has to have this happen if they have something awful happen to them. But, you, but we have to protect ourselves. I think one of the key learnings from this um, from this harrowing subject really is that, you know, women have to engage with their super mm. in their 20s, in yeah. their 30s. As soon as they start earning money, they mm. have to engage with their super. And, you know, when they're choosing the right fund for them, they have to ask, you know, does it offer insurance? Yeah. So life insurance, disability insurance, and also income protection insurance, mm. all of these things become exponentially more important mm. as we get older. Yeah. But we don't think about this when we're 20. And no, God, no. Yeah. When we're in our 20s and 30s, because we think tomorrow, tomorrow's going to come, but it's going to come in 40, 50 years' time. I'm going to be, you know, I've got bags of time. Well, you're but saving your deposit for your first home and you haven't got the extra right. cash. Yeah, That's right. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I agree 100% that the insurances are um, a big part of uh, lim- limiting your risk to this. Unfortunately, um, you know, the, for women just generally, there's already a pay gap, which mm. you, know, yeah. like, you can say, is- oh, it's getting better. No, it's not. It still is a pay gap. Mm. Like yeah. uh, I grew up with a very strong mother and, you know, mm. works hard. I've got a very strong sister and I've, Kind of, I look at this stuff a lot. And, and your wife, uh, I hope and a wife, very yes, uh, <laughs> yeah. very strong. But um, you know, that's really kind of where I grew up, and I've kind of, and so, you know, I sit on that side of the fence, to be honest. And um, you know, so there's still that gap, wage gap. Secondly, Huge. there's yeah. um more likely to uh, take care of the child if there is yeah, uh, and take the to leave the workforce while the husband stays in the workforce. So. More and, or less and likely so, to. Yeah, and your super's not being topped up while that's happening. No, exactly. Yeah. Mm. And so more likely to go back to part-time, which then potentially could inhibit um, uh, promotions. And so not only mm. a wage gap, but you're not going to earn as much generally because you're only going to work part-time and you're not going to yeah. get offered that bigger job. Even just having maternity leave. So the super balance for women over men is much, much lower, like mm. like ridiculously lower. Um no matter whenever I chat to a couple and I ask what a guy's got and a, a woman's got, it's dramatically yeah. different. Um, and so at all ages. So then yeah. you go and I'll get the insurance and the insurance unfortunately gets more expensive as you get older. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And by the time you get to your, let's say your fifties, when yeah. you get in this real vulnerable stage yeah. and if you do lose your job or you do go mm. unhealthy. You stop um, your premiums. Generally speaking, the cost of the insurance is wiping out your super funds. Yeah. Um, and so the insurance companies here have got a lot to answer to yeah. because the way that they structure their policies is, is that they, as you get older, you have to cancel your policy because it gets too expensive. Yeah. And then <laughs> what ends nice. up happening is someone in their fifties get owns well, and they go, I canceled that policy three years ago. Um, and so, 
it's really about, there's no easy way. There are ways you can do level premiums and things like that when you're younger to stop mm. that risk. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, um, it's it's a real hard one insurance because unfortunately people can't afford to keep it when That's they get so to their true. later right. Mm. That's so true. And I think this is why, you know, Women in Super is an advocacy group um, around around women and and superannuation and yeah. they that their, their platform is um it's a three pillar platform essentially they want to see um super um rise from 9.5 to 12 percent yep. they want to see compulsory employment employer payments of super during the 18 week mm. um paid parental leave um time and they Importantly, want to phase out the four hundred and fifty dollar a month eligibility threshold for super. Yep. So a lot oh, of yeah. women, mm. yeah, that's right. A lot of women might be going back to work part time after yep. they've been looking after their children mm. or their aged parents. They go back to work part time in a lower paid position, and you know the way things stand currently, if you earn four hundred and fifty um, dollars a month or less. Mm-hmm. Your employer is under no obligation. Yeah, yeah, to pay super. And you might have a couple of casual jobs. Yeah, and both of them are under the threshold, or three of them are under the threshold. Yeah. So, you know, they want to see a lot of work around this, a lot of policy change mm. around the earlier years. Yeah, that will help set women up for financial and yeah retirement security. Yeah, one thing I recommend any uh, females listening to this is a new company a friend set up. It's called Super Rewards, and it's for women, uh-huh. um, mainly targeted for women. It can be for men, but you know, it's basically you know when you go shopping um, and you buy anything from flights to clothes yeah. to groceries, um, employ uh, the person, the people you're buying from will top up your super fund. Excellent. Um, and so, like a lot of women are doing the household shopping, um, you know. Yes. It's pretty, uh, you know, democratic in uh, my household, but, um, you know, we keep it pretty even. But, um, you know, in terms of lots of households, women are, and um, what this does allows them to keep topping up their super funds. So, you know, that problem, you know, there's lots of things that need to get solved there because I think super is the big part of it because the other big part of it, though, is home ownership. Oh, uh, yes, yeah. And totally. um, if you got a home then you're unlikely to, and it's got equity in it, then you're mm. unlikely to become homeless because you can have that security of paying your mortgage. Yeah. But unfortunately, what are some of the biggest reasons why we sell our home? It's divorce, isn't it? And relationship breakdown. Mm, that's um, right. And so have you found that in your research that a lot of the reasons why homelessness has come about is because of like divorce and marriage breakdowns? Uh, totally. Uh, you, you become extremely vulnerable if you are not a homeowner and, um, you know, uh, I think the research shows that being in a marriage, being in a partnership is an absolute insurer of economic uh, stability as you move into later years. But 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 absolutely home ownership is is something that um, it's it's critical, mm. critical as is being in a in a relationship. Yeah. Interesting. So. Let's just, I'm curious, you know, we've touched on some of these things, but why is it so dramatically different between men at the same age and women at the same age? It goes back to, um, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Women are retiring with 47% less super than men. Wow. Mm. Mm. This is the critical issue. Mm. And the pay gap, which, you know, has hovered between, I think it's, oh, 
I think it's between 17 and yeah. 19% yeah. in yeah. the last 20 years. Uh, yeah, it ain't know, going anywhere, is Which it? is the mm. equivalent, you know, to a woman of working the last 60 days without without pay. Mm. Something ludicrous. Mm. So... You mean you look at boards of ASX companies, you know, they think, oh, I'm oh, making yeah. progress. You know, yeah. well, you still look at the boards. They're not much is changing, right, which is very frustrating. I think, um, so like a lot of it comes, if you think about like that story there, she was spending all her money on going back to the UK. Mm. Um, but the problem when you have a marriage breakdown is um, there might be a payout, right? Yeah. And so you've got a family home, but the only way to split the money is to sell the home. Yeah. And so then you go, the the husband and the wife or the you know, husband, husband, or wife, wife, but whatever it yeah. is, you know, new marriages. Um, the that person, if let's say the the wife has got five hundred thousand dollars from a payout, mm. if she's not working she because she's taking care of the kids, mm. um, and she can't borrow money, mm. and so all she can do with that money is potentially put it into a bank account. Yeah, uh, because she's not working, and if mm. she is working, she's working part time because she's got two young kids. Let's say, yeah. She might be getting a bit child support, which can help borrow, but that's nowhere near enough income to borrow any meaningful amount. And so what ends up happening is... And she might be under pressure to stay in the area that they were living before, so the kids have got continuity in schools and, and all that sort of thing. Yep. And this is what we see. Women mm. are cycling through that asset pool incredibly quickly. They're spending it, basically. They're spending yeah. it to keep a roof over their mm. heads. I mean... Um, you know, I think the median weekly rent on a unit in Sydney at the moment is five hundred and twenty a week, yep. and in Melbourne, it's I think it's four twenty. Yeah. Um, and if she's not working, as a lot of them, if she's on New Start, mm. she's in her late fifties. Oh. I mean, you know, that's two hundred and seventy-eight a week, and that's for a singleton with no kids. So I'm not quite sure what it is for mm. for for someone who has. So there is impossible mathematics at work there as well. Mm. Um, and then the queue to get some um, social housing is 10 years long or something like that? It's eight to 10 years mm. long. Yeah. I mean, I think there are currently, uh, I think there are currently 116,000 people, sorry, it's 140,000 people um, on that public housing list and they could be on it for eight to 10 years. Yep. So that's, uh, that's 200,000 homes. That's cool. 100,000 homes that we need to build for that list alone, let alone people who aren't on that list that don't want to put themselves on that list. So to absorb the current need and the backlog, um, it is projected that we need to be built, we need to build 433, 433,000 new social housing dwellings over the next um, 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and so the state government needs to do something, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the problem is... Well, it, it's all sorry, you've got to stem the tide. You know, because that's sort of dealing with what we have, what we know is ha happening. But, yeah. and but then, you know, we've got to educate. We've got to make sure that women in that situation have better options, really. Because there is what, what, what is waiting behind the wings. We've got a very, very acute crisis right now. Mm. But waiting is what one expert has, at Social Ventures Australia, mm. um, Kobe Maglin, called a tidal wave of women who will be adding to this crisis yep. because they are aged between 45 and 65 and they won't be able to carry on renting the places that they're living mm. in now when they when Retire. they when they yeah when they yeah. become um, eligible for the age pension 
So an acute crisis right now and then, you know, so many 300,000 more women waiting in the wings to... Yeah, because the pensions, you know, we've, you know, you look at the numbers of the pension, the pension, you don't get that much more if no. you're a mm. non-homeowner versus a homeowner. So let's say you do retire and you, you know, you're eligible for the pension because you've got no other assets, but you've got a home. Yeah. Mm. You still get, you know, I think it's like 400 bucks a fortnight or something, right? Mm. Or maybe more, maybe 400 bucks a week. Um, and, but you know, if you, if you haven't got a home, you maybe get 500, right? And so it's a little bit extra to cover the rent, but it's nowhere near enough to actually cover rent. And so no. pretty much you, you're already negative. You can't even afford to pay for the bills. Right. Um, yeah. And still, and, and pay for your food and things like that. So I think there's a, um, yeah, complete lack of, you know, housing. But I mean, the reality is um, they could do something about this, but the problem is that they make, the state government makes way too much money um, allowing developers to build for investors because mm. um, so, that's where they can make all their taxes. <laughs> they don't make any money if they build, you know, and they sell it for affordable housing. Mm. That's the problem. That's the problem right there. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's one. I think one of the problems, definitely. The, I mean, I mean that that's that's a problem in terms of the stock levels, you mm. know, and why we don't. I mean, what Labor had a policy going into the last federal election, which was something about um, giving a tax incentive to investors to build more social housing. But I think even that was only like twenty thousand dwellings or something, wasn't it? It was mm. a really low amount of money, a low amount that was just like a drop in the bucket. Mm. I thought Bill Shorten had quite a good platform, wasn't it? Something like two hundred and fifty thousand new social. Was it two hundred fifty? Sorry, I've dropped to zero. Years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> over ten years, right? So he was going to get there halfway. Yeah. Yeah, but then in ten years we'll have another population rise of X. And it yeah. was actually it was a shocking. It was actually shocking though for property investors. Of course, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not a great policy for them. Um, but yeah, I look. Because it is complicated and, and this is, I think the awareness of what actually is happening is the reason we want to talk to you because, you know, I've known, oh, I know you personally, so therefore I knew you were researching this and yeah. I was sort of waiting for the article to come out because we need to understand that this is happening. We need to understand it's getting worse. We need to understand who the who is greatest at risk. And we also need to understand that average, ordinary, normal, run-of-the-mill people are finding themselves in this situation and are going to continue finding themselves there. So as a society, as a country, we need to help help them. But also individually, we need to actually start putting in places in our own lives prevention so that these sorts of things don't happen. And that's one of the reasons for this podcast is to help people actually get, you know, yeah. get some wealth out of property. Yeah. Um, and, and But if you don't realise it can happen, you're not going to, Take it too seriously, are you? And I think this is the the most alarming thing about this your research. Yeah, that's right. And and I think it's it's human nature, unfortunately, just to if something is unpalatable or if something is difficult or if it's boring, you know, it's human nature just to say, well, I'll take care of this, you know, another time. And of course, tomorrow never comes, mm-hmm. you know. And meanwhile, you're getting older and your needs are becoming your needs will become more acute the older you get. So it's absolutely vital. I think this has been one of the principal learnings that that, that people, and especially women who are so vulnerable in their later years, um, particularly if they're, you know, running away from an abusive marriage, as so many are. Yeah, we haven't even talked about that, but that's obviously would be a mm, definite cause. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that they really do need to engage with their super mm. And what's encouraging 
is that um, financial fitness, financial capability of sem- seminars are starting mm. to spring up. Yep. Um, I know that MLC um, had a big, they organized a big webinar on International Women's Day um, last year about um, four women with a panel of women, all of whom are working mothers, but fine, experts in the financial field, um, talking about money and yeah. how to get on, how to understand it, yeah. how to get on top of it, how to prepare yeah. for your future. I think that's hugely, hugely important, you know, because when we're at school, nobody talks to us about this kind of stuff. No, you know? yeah. I mean, and, this is why I love Scott Pape. So... Um, He's a good mate and he's the Barefoot Investor. So yeah. what he has, you know, don't probably he's need to say that. avoided coming on the podcast twice now. No, but he's, he's, <laughs> he'll come on. He'll be on here soon. But um, no, the reality is he's sold over 1.5 million books now. Um, yeah, of, exactly. And those books are all about, you know, financial 101. Mm. Yeah. How to empower yourself around money. Yeah. Um, and that he's, he's kind of a lot of his philosophies are paying off your credit cards and don't go into personal debt and have yeah. conversations with your partner around money um, and have these date nights and things like that. Yeah. Because, you know, if you don't solve the money issues while you're together and if something does go wrong mm. and you've got nothing or you're in credit card debt, the problems get bad pretty fast. So, um, you know, and it's all about, and you know, and, and also in a lot of financial advice, a lot is very heavily male dominated, um, like a lot of investments. Um, you know, in financial advice, there's a lot of um, younger women who are really, making big inroads with kind of profiles and helping women. Like mm. Managing your money is kind of becoming a bit sexy. Like before it was like, you know, before it was, you know, if you're being a bit frivolous, yeah. your money, living a high life, that was quite cool. But yeah. now being it's like. sensible is boring. Yeah. Like it's actually, you can <laughs> yeah. see there's a movement mm. behind it. But I think, unfortunately, a lot of people that's in the 50s now, it's kind of too late, a lot of them, for them to make a lot of big inroads. That's right. And, and and I think it's it's sad to say, but a lot of older women have been entirely dependent on yep. their husbands, mm. not only financially, but to sort all this stuff out, yeah. Yeah. you know? So suddenly they're on their own and, you know, the stakes are very, very high and they have very, very little financial financial literacy. Well, it's also when they're actually going through the divorce process and the asset you know, mm. divvying up assets and which assets to keep, which, you know, those mm. decisions around, you know, family home, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, you know, the divorce lawyer, assuming they've got one, is going to give certain advice. But in terms of financial advice, it's almost like they need a coach in there as well. Totally. Um, you know, and I think too, on the property side of things, you know, understanding which are the good assets to keep, which ones to, the ones to let your husband have, <laughs> if you've got more <laughs> than one, you know. Uh, but, you know, while we're on the subject of family, I think we also have to talk to our daughters yes. as well. And um, I had a really lovely conversation with Laura Menchik from WLM um, a few months back uh, for a different story I was writing. But she said, you know, she has an 80-10-10 rule, which she has, you know, been talking to her children about. And now she talks to her grandchildren yeah. about, which is that, you know, with your first wage packet, 10%. Mm. you spend 80% of what you earn and 10% must go into a, an account that you never, never touch. And that is for your first house mm-hmm. or yeah. to start a business if that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And then the other 10% is for a treat, like a car or a holiday, something that's going yep. to devalue pretty immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, mm. you know, it's really important that you do that 80-10-10 yeah. thing mm-hmm. from 
from a very from the very beginning young, from the beginning so getting to good habits yeah you know? and it is that 10 percent that you actually start saving getting the habit of that you never see it you never get used to spending yeah. it and it's just a it's that's a thing right. yeah that's So the elephant in the room is 100% for you. The reason that Chris and I do this podcast is because we passionately believe that property buyers can do it better. We really want to help all of you understand all the risks, but also the ways in which you can avoid your elephant making the decisions. Well, what we would love for you to do is just to share this episode and share other episodes with people around you that are going through the property process. Give us a review on iTunes. A five star, please, would be very appreciated because this is about making sure that we all benefit from the wonderful information that our guests have been sharing with us. I love this topic um, because I'll, you know, babies do any minute and, and <laughs> I'll, I'll be, th- I think about these sort of parenting things. The reality is it's, you know, to train these sort of things in, you've got to be trained. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and the reality is most people don't understand financial concepts. There's no training for them. Mm. And, you know, then they've got the kid. And so um, it's kind of like it, you know, s- creates inequality, just creates inequality, you know, like, Absolutely. and so, um, and this is the big thing with society and this is the, big thing that lower interest rates are causing right now is that mm-hmm. um, we are creating the haves and have nots. Mm-hmm. I mean, inequality is getting bigger and bigger mm. every year. Um, you know, homelessness in Australia is a problem, but if you go to say the US, homelessness is a much bigger problem. And you'd argue there's a lot more wealth over there um, because it's basically this inequality mm. just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And so while there's, um, you know, we can all do little things, there are structural things at play that, you know, that basically are causing this problem. If you, if you get what I mean, like it's basically society's kind of self-fulfilling yeah. this. Um, and so I think you've got to, uh, yep, we can all take ownership of our own personal situation, but unfortunately not everyone's got that same opportunity to, cause they don't even know themselves. You know what I mean? I think that's why we need to really address these sort of deeply entrenched systemic failures that yep. have to do with mm. the pay gap that have to do with, you know, the fragility of women's superannuation accumulation. All of these things are really, really important. So, you know, you have that life-disrupting event on top of these, on top of these systemic failures and prejudices. Mm. And then you've got a life disruptor, you know. And so it's a it's a downwards it's a it's a really acute downward spiral. Yeah. We we took we actually just before we started here, we started talking about ageism and um the difficulty in actually getting another job if you're over a certain age. Yeah. So one of these life changing things can be you may redundant or you know, business goes break, or you yeah. you actually have a real bit of a shock, and you weren't very good at your job, and you get the sack, um, or you leave because it's an abusive environment. You know what I mean? Or sure. for whatever reason, you've you've left. You're not in a in a job. And was it you, Chris, who was saying something? Or was it you, Sharon, that was saying about the uh, the statistics of women over 40, 55 who go for a job interview? They, yeah, it's it's horrifying. You know, this will have women all over the country waking up in a cold sweat at three o'clock in the morning. But <laughs> yeah, the women yeah. over the age of fifty five are the least likely of any demographic yeah. to receive a callback after a job interview because of 
you know, it's horrible, but it's it's employer. Unless you take the job interview. And what's the perception? And it's really, oh, yeah, really tragic, get, yeah. isn't it? It's really tragic because, you know, these women in many cases are at a point in their lives when they are finally able to mm. really lean into topping up their super and to getting their teeth stuck into something. You know, their kids have left home. Mm-hmm. Uh, they no longer are taking care of aging parents, perhaps. Yep. And they can really lean in. Yeah. They've got a lot to contribute. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, you hear a statistic like that and you think, gosh, that's, you know, tremendously depressing. It's it's really alarming. And because I'm at this point of recording this, I'm 51. <laughs> so I go, oh, right. Yeah. Four years' time, I don't feel anyway used up. Do you know what I mean? I'm just kicking into it. No, you're just finding your stride. Exactly right. And, Mm. and, you know, I'm I'm energised, I'm interested, I'm lapping it up, I'm learning, Mm. I'm I'm Mm. trying new things. I'm, you know, there is absolutely no slowing down for me. And, and yeah, in a way that I don't think ever I thought in my 40s or in my 30s even, definitely not my 20s, that was Mm. like what a mess. Um, and but I do. I was in recruitment in my twenties. In my late twenties, I was in recruitment, and and I used to look at the age forty on a resume and think, oh, past it, used up, used by, no fresh ideas, you know. And and that's absolutely what I thought back then. And Chris, you were saying, you know, that it's not necessarily it hasn't changed. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, my wife's in recruitment, and um, you know, heard you know stories talking to her around that. Um, you know, I've. Uh, yeah, I mean, exactly. It's ageism is obviously very common, but it's also just even, uh, it's also for men as well. Like there's a lot of industries, um, yeah. you know, for example, we're going through a bit of a tech, like Holden shut down last week. Mm, yeah. That's 700 jobs gone. Like, yeah, maybe there's 80, 95% of them are probably men, um, you know, generalizing, but mm. you know, that's jobs. And there's a lot of industries that are going through this um, and there's offshoring, you know, a lot of jobs, for example, where women are, are doing, you know, now it's a virtual assistant, say, um, in Philippines mm. and, you know, there's lots of jobs out there that are getting, um, they're going to get taken out. And so I guess that's, um, you know, and a lot of jobs actually aren't getting wage rises, are, et cetera. So, mm. you know, you get to a point and one of my clients is a CFO and he earns really good money. And he made a really good point to me. He's like, look, I've seen what happens to people who are 10 years older than me, um, lose their job, you know, which I've worked hard for and they're there. All of a sudden they get made redundant and they have to take a, you know, they can't get another job. Um, well, it's also the more senior you are, the mm. less potential jobs are out there for you. You're it makes it even harder. Yeah, yeah. You, you, No one wants to take you on a lesser job because they just feel like you're going to be just always on the hunt for something better. Mm. And, you know, the competition to get those very few senior jobs is, mm. is acute. Mm. Um, you've got all that, the hungry, you know, people climbing the ladder mm. and then you've got yeah. – Potentially a lot of capable people, but you've also got the Peter Principle. Mm. I'm not sure how many women actually, the Peter Principle is basically you rise to the level of your incompetence. And oh. to be honest, you know, we used to mm. joke about it a lot when I was in mm. recruitment. Um, you know, there's a point at which, mostly in regards to men, by the way, because I think IBM, was it IBM that, that con- or, or Hewlett-Packard that conducted that study some years back about you know, men will go for jobs that they can do 50% of, oh, whereas yes. women won't yeah. need to have 100% of the, they will yeah. take 100% of the boxes before they'll even apply. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, right. that's where the Peter principle comes in because yep. men will actually go for promotion. They'll probably yeah. get it. Whereas a woman's like sitting there going, yeah, I could do, oh, I could do 90% of it. Oh, I can't do that last thing. I won't mm. apply. Yeah, fake mm. it till um, you make it. Yeah. yeah, so probably women don't suffer from the Peter principle quite as often as men do. Mm. Yeah. But, but you know, it's, so it's, 
this is there's all of that going on underneath as well. So therefore, if you're not going to push yourself in your career, you're not necessarily going to go for those promotions. You're going to be earning less than potentially you could be. Mm. You know, it's a real knock-on effect. And society's, yeah. um, you know, and the way we all think is is contributing to this, and uh, the way we think about ourselves as well, obviously. Mm. Yeah, the rental thing is the big thing. So uh, you get to 65 and you're retired. You haven't got a house in Sydney because of whatever reason. Mm. You can't afford to pay rent, but your kids are in Sydney. Your friends are in Sydney. Mm. Your life, your identity is in Sydney. And, you know, sometimes the government will come out with these stupid comments like, oh. um, why don't you move to oh. Tamworth, Veronica's oh. new favourite place. Um, and uh, <laughs> Such an out-of-touch thing to say. Yeah. Isn't it what? Really? It's just like, what? This shows a complete lack of understanding. Of, mm. of just connect, you know, the importance yeah. of connection and belonging. Yeah, community. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is so important. I mean, it, the research is showing that women who do find themselves in this awful situation, that their mental health deteriorates really, really mm. quickly as well because it's, well, you'd it's be aging hopeless. also. And, yeah, you'd be you feeling know, hopeless. They, they describe this feeling as like being suddenly catapulted out yes. in space. Oh, my God. Yeah. And there are no coordinates. You know, they, no. they, they have nothing to mm. hang on to as they're going down. So it just, yes, completely out of touch. Well, that's the thing. Like a lot of people will say, oh, people on the streets, for example, or sleeping rough or whatever, you know, it is. Um, you know, oh, it's mental. It's it's drugs. Well, maybe, maybe not. Was it the streets that caused that? You know, it's mental health. Well, was this was it because they were homeless well, that they the got a mental illness? in the egg, isn't it? Well, yeah. mental health problem. Mm. Yeah. Like, um, oh, it's relationship breakdown. Well, that could happen to anyone. You know, why haven't they got their kids? Well, they might not have any kids. They couldn't mm. have kids, or they didn't have you know didn't want kids. Or... And not all families are close. No, yeah. another no. issue. Yeah. Not all families are close. You know, everyone's even. Yeah, everyone's got mm. arguments or don't want to get along with their. They don't want to impact their brothers or sisters, and they've only got oh, they've got their own families. Yeah, one of the women um, I spoke to, she has got four brothers yeah. uh, and a married daughter, but she just didn't feel that she could contact any of them for help, which mm. you know is, is is staggering. But it speaks about our so, social alienation yeah. can exist even in big families. Mm. Okay, so. I just don't think we can afford to make any kind of assumptions about why someone no. is sleeping in a box on the streets. <laughs> and, you know, I think we should reach into our wallets and give them, you know, 10 bucks for a burger, mm-hmm. you know. And, and and let's just not judge because we we don't know what has brought them to this this point. It's actually interesting. I, I've taken recently when you, when you ask for money on the streets um, and, you know, feel free to judge me or feel free to send me... <laughs> messages and what I could do better. <laughs> um, but to say, look, I'm not going to give you any money, but are you hungry? Yeah. Because I'll buy you some food. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a really good litmus test because some of them will go, yeah, I am. And I'll go and buy them something. And others will go, no, 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 I just want the money. I'm yeah. like, well, that's cool. I'm not going to give you the money. Yeah. Um, so that's actually my way of mm. actually trying to help, mm. but also sort through. I don't, I just don't want to give you money for your next hit. I really don't. And I'm mm. not going to. Um, mm. But, you know, if you are hungry. Yeah, mm. absolutely. But, you know, do you, have you actually through this actually found a favourite charity? And I'm just hitting you with this question. I didn't prep you for this at all. But, I mean, um, because there are so many organisations that help. You know, there's there's mm. there's yeah. people that feed them. You know, there's organisations that feed well, them. There's. I mean, I can say that, I mean, I've spoken to people at Mission Australia and, um, uh, and uh, St Vincent de Paul and I have been absolutely blown away by the dedication and the compassionate care that these caseworkers 
bring to the to the women who are walking mm. into their offices and they all say the same thing that they are seeing more and more and more of them mm. every single week wow and um so you know tied. what 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 is really really hard is that often for these women they 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 can't discern the pathway the correct pathway to social services they it's all just an amorphous yep confusing mass mm. and they don't know where to go for help. So these women are really holding their hands um, figuratively yeah. and metaphorically mm. and helping them negotiate this incredibly tangled labyrinthine procedure um, that requires everybody to be online. You know, yeah. oh, you can't yeah. speak to a human being. Yeah, 100%. That's bizarre, and, isn't it? So and this is yeah. adding to their sense of alienation. Mm. You have a woman who's sleeping in a car yep. and she's expected to be able to log on to Centrelink. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. Chris yeah. is a conspiracy theorist, okay, and I tend not to be. However, I am leaning in the direction of thinking that maybe it's been structured that way to minimize payments. Mm. Would would you For sure. <laughs> uh, exactly. I mean the reality uh, is nuts, isn't it? Is um, so, if, you know, there's like with this bushfire thing that happened, you know, there's an argument that the the money's not going through to the people who are affected and, you know, these donations aren't going through and things like that. Well, you know, the, really a great idea mm. got proposed. Well, the ATO has got all their bank details. Yeah. Why can't the ATO, the government, straight away, yeah. you know, help by, you know, putting money in all their bank accounts? Yeah, right. Right? Like mm. if you wanted to make the money go through, the problem is to get the money you got to call the call center, then you got to jump on the f- and you're oh. there's the f- the power's out. I've got no phone. I've yeah. lost my phone charger, and so you know, like as if you're not already traumatized, got nothing to do. Yeah, I mean, and so the system's actually smart enough. Well, people who are smart enough to do this, I guess, put through your are they smart enough, or are they just basically so disconnected because that's just the type of personality that might well, be really good at developing these systems. When people going into <laughs> politicians isn't really, I think that the people who you know it's. Unfortunately, the people who go into politicians with a very good heart, unfortunately, end up it's in an area out of them. when yeah. they're in an area where they've got to win votes and mm. um, then you become like who you're surrounded by. So I think that's the problem. I think a lot of things with charity, and I've spoken to you know clients and friends who work in this space and things like that, a lot of people just think it's money. You can just throw yeah, money right. um, at the homeless, um, but it's not money. What did the homeless people think are the solutions to the problems? Because they've got the real insight on what they need to fix things um, and what support they need. But what were some of the things that you think that they really wish could they change? They want, <laughs> and they all said this, all mm. of them, they want to sit down with some shiny boots in Canberra and show them exactly how quickly their money evaporates. Mm. Okay, yeah. They want them to, you know, come out of their polished offices yep. and, and see how it works. And um, that's what they said. We want to show Scott Morrison just how inadequate New Start is. We want to, we want to show him that you know, this amount of money has been the same since 1994 or 1995. And that is outrageous, and, isn't it? You know, mm. that is indexed mm. to New Start. Um, is indexed to um, CPI. It's yeah. indexed to yeah. CPI. Is CPI when in mm. fact not um, to wages. It, not the, not yeah. to wages mm. exactly, uh, but but rents are inflated yes. at double the rate mm. of inflation. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. exactly right. And CPI is such mm. a stupid figure; it can be um, 
yeah, it's not actually the reality, you know. Um, right. And, you know, a lot of if our salaries are going up, so a lot of the things that we spend money on, you know, mm. food and and then things like electricity and, you know, I, I don't think CPI, because we don't all buy that same basket of goods. No, you know? that's yeah. exactly And right. a lot of things are excluded. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if you look at what CPI was and you did house prices versus CPI, well, you'd be like, wow, you look yeah. at wages, um, et cetera. So I think, yeah. More money is potentially a problem, but then they still have to pay for these things. They still haven't got a house. Mm. So was there anything else that they really think that they really want besides just increasing how much the money they, they get? Want, they, want, they want more dwellings, you know. Mm. They, they don't want to be on waiting lists for 10 years. They want, they want solutions in terms of affordable housing. Yeah. yeah. So the, the big thing the government could do, and I think they should do, is like, so when they sell a new apartment, they probably make, $500,000 mm. or $400,000 maybe, uh, like 40% of that million-dollar apartment actually <laughs> mm. goes in government taxes. Mm. Mm. And so the developers, you know, of that million dollars that they make, they have to give $400,000 out to the government. Yeah. Now, they, these numbers are not 100% correct, but let's just assume it is. The developers only got six hundred grand to play with now. Then they've got to pay for the building. Mm. Then they've got to make their profit and the risk and things like mm. that. Um, if the government said, look, you can still make that same amount of profit, but you don't have to pay our taxes. Yeah. The developer wouldn't build for the investor. Mm-hmm. The developer would build for more affordable housing that's cheaper, that's subsidised. Exactly right. Yeah, um, exactly. But the government doesn't want to give up all this cash. Exactly right. So that's, to me, the, the problem is developers won't build it because there's literally no incentive for them. And yeah. they're a business. And, they, and, so if, and the government doesn't want to build it. Well, it's one of the challenges of the build to rent model that um, we spoke to Adam, what was his surname? From Hurst. Hurst, yes, yeah. back oh, only a few episodes ago. Yeah, I mean, Mervac are, you know, I guess leading the charge in that space in Australia, but there's massive hurdles and a lot of them is around tax. And he was talking about land tax, for instance. But, um, mm. yeah, because the, the structuring of it is is a challenge for the government to say, well, I'm um, – I don't want to forego tax in certain way in certain areas, and I don't want to give tax breaks because that actually adds up to something unfair that you have a burden that you have that would not be there if you were uh, building and selling these apartments in the traditional way. I mean, there are some lovely pockets of innovation around yeah. um, not-for-profit affordable housing, the Nightingale Project. Yeah, and we tried to get them on the podcast, and can I say they they refused? Can we can we say why they refused? Mm, no. Probably all right. I mean, there is a bit of a, I guess we can, I guess. I mean, um, yeah. it's probably a good point to talk about. We are, as you might notice, some of our guests aren't wearing hats um, in some the of the- hat. Uh, our Elephant things. rider hat. Um, so when Veronica and I set up the podcast over 18 months ago, we had this discussion. Um, we, we named it the elephant in the room. And we just had a bit of a play on this elephant in the room. Why don't we make it a bit fun? Let's have the Dumbo segment. Let's have the elephant rider boot camp. Maybe we should throw a hat for our guests- then we talked about maybe is that misappropriation as well of um, cultures, yeah. uh, and Veronica and I had made the call that you know God. it's we're not we're just having a bit of fun. We're taking the light yeah, side yeah, of life, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and yeah. we're not in that client at all as people. Um, and uh, anyway, Nightingale wouldn't come on because of that reason. Um, because we have a hat. Because of the hat. Yeah. Mm. So it's such a shame because you know we'd like to discuss and we love what they're doing. I've been tracking this stuff for years. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and, mm. and, and, and the thing is, I think what we, it, it, it is a very grim outlook, but there are these lovely pockets of innovation that, yep. we, yeah. have to, that we have to water and give publicity mm. to when 
Yeah. There was no silly hat involved. Yeah. But <laughs> they didn't have to wear it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Women's Housing Corporation, for instance. Yeah. Mm. You know, all of these things are fabulous, but what we need is involvement from our federal government mm. to, to really, you know, yeah. bring it off. Bring it off. Yeah. yeah. And the we other... need something that's scalable, essentially. Yeah. We, need, we need volume. I'm talking about, you know, 433,000 um, new affordable dwellings are required mm. in order to cope with current need and backlog. And so that's not even forecasting to take into account the tidal wave that you've mentioned. Yeah, yes. right. That's right. Yeah. Wow. So there is another solution, I think, because um, I thought about this a bit as well. Like um, there's the government have got money, but also um, super funds have got money. Yes. And uh, so, and the Australia's super funds called Future Fund, mm-hmm. like the government's got, that's mm-hmm. got a lot of money, hundreds of billions, um, that they could the reality is the super funds um, need to get returns for their investors. Mm. And we're all putting money into super and that's mm. just getting bigger and bigger every year. It's mm. like $3 trillion. Mm. You can build a lot of houses with, you know, $100 billion. Mm. Um, so a portion of super funds could be solving this problem. Um, but the reality is the government um, doesn't want to, you know, give the super funds a free kind of tax exemption mm. or anything like that. Mm. And so... What a lot of super funds are, are starting to do is look at this thing called impact investing. Mm-hmm. And so it's we get a social outcome mm-hmm. um, and we also get an investment return. Mm-hmm. And so all the government would have to do is basically give the super funds a subsidies, additional rent for their investments. Mm-hmm. Um, so they basically subsidize the rent for all the homeless mm-hmm. uh, and they don't have to build it. They don't have to let the developers get off for free. All they need to do is pay these subsidies to the super funds mm-hmm. to allow um, these renters to rent at a lower rate. Mm. And so I do think that is probably one of the better solutions I've seen where, you know, these super funds can get an investment return. Yeah, This government doesn't have to build them. Mm. The developers don't have to do it. The super funds will do it. And then the government, all they have to do is pay subsidies. So I think some of those things have been talked about as well to, yeah. to really bridge that gap. Fantastic. So do you have a a, a bit of a dream of, you know, you wrote this article and in doing so, did you sort of think, okay, well, this is really what I'd like to see happen? Uh, well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I just got a um, an email uh, late last night, actually, that the government has just launched in the, has just announced um, an inquiry into homelessness in Australia. So, uh, that I was alerted to that yesterday, mm. and I think uh, the committee is accepting written submissions uh, in the beginning of April. So, I think that's start. <laughs> I think that's a start. Yeah. I think yeah. that's really, yeah. really important. Mm. And of course, like so many people, um, I would like to see more pressure on the government in terms of new start. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I think, you know, our social housing stock has to improve. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the – I was reading your article um, is that you ended it, um, which I think was actually something that I tried to talk about. You said um, the choices you make now are your – oh, this is one of your quotes of Mm. – you asked one of your uh, people you were speaking to to give advice to themselves when they were younger. Yeah. Mm. Um, And this is one of the things I sometimes say to clients is you need to – uh, kind of write a letter to yourself or think about your future self and do something today for what you're, you're going to thank yourself 
mm. or in the future. Yep. And that's all you're really doing with finances. All you're doing is mm-hmm. sacrificing a bit today, <laughs> taking yeah. control. So in your future, you've got a bit more certainty. And um, and that's what you're basically. And so this person who was obviously struggling, um, it was an amazing quote. They said, the choices you make now are your destiny. Keep a strong eye on your future. You can't see it now because you're busy and having fun, but it'll be here before you know it. Make sure you're ready. That's right. Yeah. And like to me, that that was amazing because that really hits home. Um, people yeah. are busy, you know. We are kind of going on in life and things are just ticking over. And I think a way to really think about that, I think, uh, opens people's eyes up is um, if you think about your age today and then you say you're going to retire at 65, um, you know, and let's say you're 45, so you've got 20 years. But if you change that to how many paychecks you've got, so you times that by 12, that's only 240 paychecks and everyone ticks over. And so that's what I think. Oh, people... that's alarming. I mean, you think of it that way. Tick, tick, wow. Tick. Yeah, it changes your view on things because mm, then you think yeah. actually a month is actually important. Yeah. Rather, and otherwise a year just flies by. So mm. I think if you think about your life in pay cycles, um, you'll start to actually get a bit of feeling that time's running out. And that's what the urgent, that's usually what you need to take action is that urgency there. And um, unfortunately people don't really realize that till they get five years before retirement and they go, I've only got five years left. Well, you've always only, you know, you could have thought about that 20 years ago. Oh, I get people coming to me saying they suddenly want to buy a property, an yeah. investment property. I mean, these people obviously have their own home and, um, and able to do it. You know, when you, when you think you're retiring in five years, I'm like, well, <laughs> it's like, can you go and talk to a financial planner, please? Because I think there's other things you should be doing than buying a property I mean, the at this point. Just say they they advise young women to start really envisioning their future. Mm. What kind of what kind of later years do they imagine they will have? Mm. You know, it, it it they need to engage with that vision and then take the steps to make it happen. Because without doing that, it it's not going to eventuate. It's yeah. as simple as that. Mm. You know, you really have, what kind of old age do I see for myself? You know, do I still want to be able to afford to go overseas? You know, do I still want to do some travel? And, and you know, the fact of the matter is that you really have to engage with that vision and take the steps to, yeah, to make it happen. Yeah, You do. Yeah, well, no matter if you are single or you're in a couple, I think it's, um, mm. I've got, I have quite a few, like, um, single, say, young women and, um you know, and they save really hard, maybe got a bit of gift from parents and they're mm, buying yeah. their first little apartment or yeah. something like that. Um, and it's amazing. You can see how engaged they are and yeah. really taking ownership of it. And I love it. Um, but even still, when you're in a relationship, you know, you've got to be uh, just not allowing just time fly because, um, yeah. you know, if something does happen, something goes wrong. Um, so you've got to be having those money conversations. Um, you know, and if something does, a relationship, it does break down like some relationships do, you're not going to be left in the lurch. And no. I think... 50% of marriages do, and then that doesn't mm. include all the ones that didn't get married. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> and a lot of 50% stay in marriages because uh, of finances. Yes, yeah, that's yes. True too. So, yeah, yeah, very um, true. So, you, you could know. actually argue that, you know, about 10% 20... of people married are happy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but anyway, uh, I'm it's in the another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm not married, so I'm just, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm proof. Cool. You're out of the fray. I'm proof that it doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing them a lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. 
mistakes that can be avoided. Now, please, Sharon, help our listeners out here. Give us an example of a property dumbo. We can all learn what not to do from these stories. Sorry. You ever got one for us? Sorry, no. Well, that's right. Have you got one for us, Chris, today? Um, I've got plenty that are okay. not related to um, this topic. <laughs> I would just say I think the dumbo with uh, homeless around homelessness and where you can oh, yeah. get yourself is um, is gambling with your home own home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people with property think it's an asset that you, you buy and you sell mm. and you just transact. And, um, I've got a client just literally this morning, um, who I've stopped selling their home. Um, another financial advisor referred them to me and yeah. it's a young couple and this, this will probably be okay, but they were feeling the home was getting too much maintenance, having to spend too much money. Um, things are really tight financially for them in terms of income and three kids and schools and all that sort of stuff. And so they felt the only option they had was to sell the home and they haven't got another home to move into yet. Mm. And technically they went to a broker and the broker said, you're going to, you have to sell before you buy. Mm. And, um, they didn't really want to sell cause they didn't know where they were going to go. And so I got the call this morning at eight thirty, and the reality is they can read, they can buy before they sell. Um, so there is a way to do it. Um, because if they go down the other option and they sell mm. and then, for example, um, the husband loses their job um, before they bought mm. another property, yeah. um, they wouldn't be able to borrow any money and then they wouldn't be able to buy something. And so they're out of the property and market. prices are rising. And then they uh, – so you've got to be really careful when you're buying and selling homes yeah. that you're not out of the market. Um, and you've got to be very careful if you do, which is what some people did in the last couple of years – got freaked out with the housing market mm. crash. Um, I've got a sell that's going to keep falling. Yeah. Yes. And they put the money in the bank account mm. and then they go, well, I can't buy anything because I haven't got the money or the income. Yeah. And so a lot yeah. of people gamble with their home and they try to say, try to play the investment market. Yes. You've just got to be really careful yes. selling your home because you've got to be really confident you're going to be able to get back in because if you lose five years, you can just sit on the sidelines and this problem of not having a home ownership can really – get bigger on you. So like, I think that's where the dumbos are is people gambling with their home. Mm. That's a good one. Yeah. Mm. Well, Sharon, <laughs> this has been a really great chat. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me and for giving, um, you know, putting the focus on this hugely important issue. Yeah. Well, it is important and, and I, I guess even more important than even I thought mm. when, you know, we talked about you coming on when you said mm. this tidal wave is yeah. just... I mean, the language Terrific. that they're using is meteorological, you know, it's yeah. tidal wave tsunami. It's it's really worrying. And mm. when you get these 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 uh, anecdotes from people working at Mission Australia, for instance, saying that more and more people, yeah. more and more women coming in every yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. So, so really, as a podcast, mm. we want to shine light on this and hopefully, um, you know, maybe we should pick a charity and at least put mm. link in the in the show notes. We will. As somebody that we, you know, that we think that, Come on, or maybe a list of a few. Just mm. please, you know, let's just get involved. But also on the prevention side of things. So mm. we want to agitate for, we want to help, help if we can. We want to agitate for change. We want to ag- agitate for government um, to take action. But we also want to educate people and give them the opportunity earlier in life so that they can make these decisions for mm. themselves, take responsibility, and actually not find themselves in this situation. Mm. That's really my vision. Yeah. And even the people around them, like, so, um, 
you know, it's people around you that need help with their finances or you can see that bring just, you know, give mm. them a bit of a nudge, you know, just mm-hmm. don't be afraid to let them know that they, you know, maybe should go and ask for some advice or mm. be thought about maybe. I think those people usually will do better because there's always someone watching out for them. So watch out for your friends and your family around you as well because I think um, people um, sometimes just don't have that, no one telling them, no one supporting them. There's mm, that's that no right. one in their life. Yeah. To say to them, you know, have you thought about maybe, you know, yeah. buying your first property? Have you thought about maybe looking after your finances? Um, sometimes people need that nudge. Mm, absolutely. Cool. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is? So I think the most important part of uh, protecting yourself or your from your future I guess is starting early and the earlier the better but I mean starting now is usually the best time but or yesterday but <laughs> I mean the reality is um you know it's actually getting rich slowly where you'll actually make wealth it's not actually getting rich fast it's not about buying something today that'll double it's buying something that'll grow at a good rate and perform well and that'll compound over many years. Um, the big thing is people get a lot of very frustrated with things like superannuation and because it's not making that much money, it wasn't as much more than I had last year, that's not when the returns will come. The returns will come in 20 years' time when it compounds on itself. And so you really need to kind of understand compounding interest. Start playing around with, you know, if you saved $100 a week and you did that for, you know, 30 years, just look at how much money that will be. So it's not, you know, the you have to save a lot of money. It's just putting money away every month, being consistent with it as early as possible because and then waiting and keeping invested. So really get on board with compounding into the sooner the better. And, I mean, the analogy for compounding for me is that of a snowball. You know, you start at the top of a really big, long hill <laughs> – and, and tiny little ball at the top. And as it rolls down the hill, it's got more surface area and therefore it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it just becomes you know, huge at the end of the hill. Whereas if you start that snowball in the middle of the hill, it's never going to be as big. Yeah, exactly right. And it's compounding both ways. So you can compound um, a lot of the time. You're doing the heavy lifting in the first, say, 10 to 20 years. You know, you're the one who's saving hard and you're putting the money in. After a certain point in time, though, the money flips and the the money starts doing the work for you. The money's growing every year and that's working harder for you than actually you saving. And so um, technically, you just got to keep focus on doing the hard work, keep putting the money away, forget about how much is in there. It's the same as paying a mortgage off. It actually reverse works the reverse. If you keep paying your mortgage off, you think, well, it's not really going down that much. Well, it is because after a certain point in time, wage rises, you start saving more, the mortgage starts compounding on, on itself and you keep paying off more and more. So yeah. compounding actually works both ways, paying debt off and saving. Please join us for our next episode when we are talking all about building defects all over again. This is a topic we do not want to die because it's very, very important that the focus remains to be on apartment building uh, quality. And we are interviewing the author of a very, very important report. Dr. Nicole Johnson comes in to talk about building defects. Her research into 212 buildings across Victoria, Queensland and New South Wales, some very interesting findings as to where the causes were, what the solutions are and whether or not we can relax and all get stuck back into buying off the plan of brand new apartments or not. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. 
please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room Property Podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Resk. Editorial by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. If this episode has raised any issues for you, please reach out to the following services. Lifeline on 13 11 14. Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636. And to speak with a financial counsellor, contact the National Debt Helpline on 1800 007 007.